Some words from Psalm 89. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Happy are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. They exult in your name all day long and extol your righteousness. And now we come to pray to God. Let's be still as we pray together. God, who is perfect light, bringing illumination and clarity to all things, at this, the darkest time of the year, when daylight hours are short and fleeting, and darkness looms with almost malevolent leer, It is good to gather together to worship you, the source of our hope. For the bright moments that have delighted us, we thank you. For the new insights and understandings, new skills and knowledge. For the joy of human companionship, laughter and love. For the nip of the frosty air when we venture outside and the warm embrace of steaming mugs of our favourite warming drink. For the colourful displays in shops and decorations in the streets. For all that defies gloom and shouts hope, we give you praise. But there have also been dark moments that have saddened or disappointed us. The times when old prejudice and grudges, old feuds and regrets have cast an ugly shadow over our days. For the moments when we have caused hurt or failed to bring hope, for the mean thoughts, the careless actions, or the willful inaction, please forgive us and help us to live brighter, kinder lives. You, O God, entered our world in Jesus, who shared our frail humanity and showed us how your inner light radiates and penetrates the darkness, defiantly declaring that your love will make all things new. So reassure us, strengthen us, and give us light enough to continue our journey of discipleship. Amen. The first uh, reading is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It's on page 672. This is the message which God gave to Isaiah, son of Amos, about Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain where the temple stands will be the highest one of all, towering above all the hills. Many nations will come streaming to it, and their people will say, Let us go up the hill of the Lord to the temple of Israel's God. 
He will teach us what he wants us to do. We will walk in the paths he has chosen. For the Lord's teaching comes from Jerusalem. From Zion he speaks to his people. He will settle disputes among great nations. They will hammer their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will never again go to war, never prepare for battle again. Now, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light which the Lord gives us. And the second uh, lesson is from Romans chapter 13, verses 9 to 13. And that's page 201. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not desire what belongs to someone else. All these and any others beside are summed up in the one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love someone, you will never do them wrong. To love then is to obey the whole law. You must do this because you know that the time has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For the moment when we will be saved is closer now than it was when we first believed. The night is nearly over. Day is almost here. Let us stop doing the things that belong to the dark and let us take up weapons for fighting in the light. Let us conduct ourselves properly as people who live in the light of day. No orgies or drunkenness, no immorality or indecency, no fighting or jealousy. Here ended the lessons. The phrase walk in the light is one of those evergreen Christian expressions that can trip lightly from our tongues with very little thought about what they might really mean. It's one of those phrases where everybody knows that the answer is Jesus or be good. It's one of those phrases that, if we're not careful, allows us to smugly define ourselves over against a dark world, rather than recognising our place within it as frail and finite creatures, albeit creatures who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ by the work of God's Spirit. On Thursday of this week, I was idly catching up on some of the inane entertainment that is Facebook, and I spotted a status update from one of my friends, and it said they'd had a power cut in their area, the whole housing estate had been plunged into darkness, and they were walking home, lighting their footsteps with the screen of their mobile phone. Is that what it means to walk in the light? I wondered. And it made me wonder what other images, stories and metaphors might give us, uh, by ways of looking at this well-known phrase, that might give us something new to think about, something to reflect upon. Of course, the events of Friday night are still very fresh and very raw. And we do continue to hold in our thoughts and prayers all those affected by the tragedy of the Clutha Vaults accident with the police, with the emergency services and the families affected. Perhaps that feels like darkness. So what might be light in that context? 
I haven't rewritten my sermon, but I can't quite take those thoughts completely away. Advent is a season which in the northern hemisphere occurs at the darkest time of the year, when daylight hours shrink away almost to zero and completely to zero in parts of Scandinavia. On Dreek days, even in Cornwall, they probably wouldn't call them Dreek days in Cornwall, it has to be said, it can feel as if it never gets properly light. The image of light piercing the, the gloom, or more starkly the darkness, it's a powerful one. It brings a sense of hope that the sun will shine again and that the darkness will not ultimately overcome us. Remember that solstice celebrations date back to a pre-scientific, pre-Christian time when people actually weren't quite so sure that the sun would come back. It takes a power cut to remind us that night is naturally a pretty dark time. Not completely so, because moonlight and starlight allow us to see just far enough ahead to avoid falling into ditches or over precipices. At least they do once our eyes have become accustomed to the dark. But real darkness, I suspect, is experienced only if we happen to be in a cave or a tunnel or a mine. Only then can we discover or perhaps rediscover that even the light of the tiniest candle or a mobile phone screen is able to dispel some of that darkness. The tiniest, most feeble source of light is more powerful than the deepest darkness. So is that what it means for us to walk in the light? To find that tiny sign of hope, of truth, and consciously saying that will dispel, defy the darkness. Saying to evil and to sin, ultimately you're not going to win. Even this tiny candle of hope diminishes your grip on me and those around me. Well, yes, perhaps it is. Does anybody know what this is a picture of? It is indeed, the 12 apostle cottages on the Isle of Arran. One of the reasons that these cottages are of note is that on the seaward side, the upper windows in every single cottage are slightly different. Different shape, different framework, so that the fisherman's wife could put a lamp in the window and her husband sailing on the sea, trying to find his way home in the dark, would recognise his own unique light of home and follow that. Sailing through the blackness, here was a light that drew them home to safety. Now that was what I was going to use for my next bit, but then on Friday night I was at Friday Friendship, and Neil Spurway showed this slide, which seems to express the same thing, but perhaps a bit better. This is a statue on the approach to a harbour in Norway. And these are quite common on the harbours in Norway. Statues of fishermen's wives, 
Sometimes holding a baby. Sometimes holding hands with two children. Sometimes holding aloft a huge fish. A sort of symbol of the anxiety of those left behind looking out for their loved one to return. But this one, Neil said, is unusual. She has one hand up. She's waving to her husband. And at her feet is the little green starboard harbour light, that light that guides the ships and the fishermen safe into harbour. Perhaps she's not waving him goodbye. Perhaps she's waving to him to welcome him home. So might that be what it means then to walk in the light? Not that we have the responsibility for lighting the path in front of us, but instead that the person who loves us and longs to bring us home safely lights a lamp and places it in the window or chooses the one of the right colour to help us navigate the darkness and find our way home. Well, yes, I think it might be. Another picture from Scotland. Does anyone know where that one is? I didn't prime him, honestly. (laughs) Yep. Oops. This is the St. Abbs Head Lighthouse. It's quite unusual because it's not very tall, is it? We think of lighthouses generally as being extremely tall. And it's just one of countless lighthouses dotted around the coast of Britain and indeed other countries around the world. And the purpose is not only to aid navigation, but to warn mariners of potential hazards which might not be visible when it's dark or foggy or the light is poor. Rocks and reefs and sandbanks lurk passively, waiting to ground or sink the vessel of the unwary sailor who's trying to get to land. They do come in different shapes and different sizes. And over the centuries, they've developed from burning torches and candles. I remember the stories of how many candles they used to have to put in the lamps. To the incredibly powerful, remotely controlled lights of our time. Each lighthouse has its own sweep pattern and different frequencies of flashes that help the sailors to confirm or to discern where they are, but also to be aware that there might be something dangerous. And this sweeping light coming across the sea towards the horizon enables them to see that. I did a little bit of research, and according to Wikipedia, so it must be correct, there is a complicated mathematical formula for working out the height of a lighthouse, how far it needs to be above sea level so that the sweep goes close enough to the horizon to do the job. A very carefully designed and specifically positioned light. So might this then be what it means to walk in the light? To see the specially designed and carefully positioned beacon that warns us of the traps and perils of our journey. Might be that the kind of thing that uh, 
Paul was talking about in that letter to the Romans? Well, yes, I think it might be. Now, if we had all day, and we don't, we could go on ad infinitum, playing around with different kinds of humanly created light. I have a suspicion that on Friday night, spotlights and searchlights would have been very important in helping the emergency services. Streetlights helping people to drive, find their way home or where they're going. Reading lights that we all use. Traffic lights, standby lights, headlights, brake lights. You can go on and on and on, thinking of different kinds of light. And I wonder how they might be metaphors for thinking about how we negotiate our journey of faith and discipleship. What might we be able to think about walking in the light if we imagine a street light or a handheld torch or a pelican crossing or whatever it might be? You see, it's a phrase that we can use very easily. But when we begin to think about it, we realize actually there's all kinds of ways we can understand it. I don't want to deny anything we've already said, but there are actually some other directions we can go. Could it be that walk in the light actually means what it says? Rather than trying to negotiate our way through the darkness of light, night, sorry, might it mean that our journey becomes one that takes place in the day? Just a fess up moment on the, the Good News translation, very bad translation in Romans about weapons for fighting in the, the light. Actually, the Greek says the light is like our armour, like our protection. And I think that's something about light almost as like daylight. The truth is, if it's a nice, bright, sunny day, you can walk even on a precipitous mountaintop in snow and do so with reasonable safety. I'd hate to do that in the dark. I'd hate to do that in bad conditions. But when it is truly light, you can walk and see amazing views if you are um, looking around you. So might that be part of it? Not about... Uh, something that we use in the darkness but actually to walk in the light is to to walk in full sunshine well maybe it is the gospel writers tell us that Jesus described himself as the light of the world but which image did the gospel writer have in mind was it as in this very famous painting sorry that's not particularly good picture of it, it's rather dark. Was it a handheld light lantern with a single candle in it? Is that what it means, that Jesus is the light of the world, that he carries a little lamp alongside us so we can see one step? Or does it mean the homecoming light burning in the upstairs window of the cottage to say, come home, come home to safety? Or does it mean that he is like the lighthouse sweeping across the ocean, illuminating the hazards and enabling us to travel safely? Or does it mean that he's like the bright sunshine that dispels the darkness completely so that nothing remains, making it possible for us to enjoy life in all its fullness, joyfully, 
and reasonably safely. Well, maybe it's all of these, and maybe it's none of them. Maybe it's more than we can possibly imagine. This light of God, pure and dazzling, revealed within creation in the form of a man, constrained by human limitations. That suggests that maybe all of these ideas have some truth, but yet there is still more for us to wrestle with. But there is still another direction we can look in as we think about this idea. Thus far, all of the light sources we have considered, large or small, created or uncreated, has shared one common characteristic. And that's that it is external to human beings. Whether it's the light of the sun, the moon and the stars, the streetlights, the handheld mobile phone, every single one of them is outside of us. And yet... When we speak about light and about seeing, we also speak of inner light or enlightenment. And sometimes we use the word seeing when we mean understanding. So is it possible, as well as all of these diverse ideas we've already just touched upon, walking in the light might be understood as living out our lives directed by the understanding we have discovered or been given? Might it be that it's the inner light of God's spirit within each one of us that enlightens our minds, nudges our consciences, inspires our dreams and visions, and so encourages us to step boldly into the unknown life of faith? We've already thought about Santa Lucia, the saint crowned with candles, bearing light into the darkness. But perhaps there's another way of thinking about saints, one that I've used before, and I'm sure you already know, but it doesn't matter. It's attributed to an unnamed child, but I think it's helpful. This is a stained glass portrait of Saint Nicholas. I picked him because he's kind of Christmassy. And a lot of stained glass windows show saints. And it was this that purportedly led a child to say that a saint was somebody the light shines through. If we believe that God's light indwells us, then it seems inevitable that that light will spill out of us. And whenever we are best and our most beautiful And even to some extent, when we feel adequate, that's going to happen. When we feel foolish, when we feel limited, that light of God inside us is still going to spill out. But there is more still for us to marvel at. Because not only did Jesus say that he was the light of the world, according to the Gospel of John, he also said of his followers, you are the light of the world. That's in Matthew You see, incredibly, it's people like us who not only set up lamps, but who are the lamps in the lighthouses that warn people of dangers. People like us not only place windows in the light of the home to draw back the loved one, but we are the light of love. 
And we don't just hand out torches to people stumbling in the darkness. We ourselves become the candles held in their trembling hands. To walk in the light is not just something we do ourselves. It's something we enable other people to do as we become bearers of the light of the God who draws all nations into God's presence where, in Christ, love transforms darkness once and for all into light. May this eternal image of light, the light of God that cannot be extinguished, offer us hope and promise as we step onwards in the physically dark days of Advent, confident that the darkness of sin and death and despair never could and never will have the final word. Amen. Our prayers for others this morning are centred around three scriptures. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Dear God, we do thank you for the light, both physical and spiritual. Without it, we would be lost in every sense. This morning we pray for those who are in darkness. That goes almost without saying. But we pray also for those who bring light into the darkness, be it physical or spiritual. We remember all those whose calling it is to spread the gospel of the good news of the giving of your Son. We pray for all ministers, evangelists, and missionaries, whether they serve in churches, missions of many sorts, or schools and hospitals in all parts of the world. May they know the light of your world, constantly guiding, guarding, challenging, and supporting them, whatever you are leading. We pray for those who minister through the collection, transporting and distribution of aid, often in dangerous and harrowing circumstances. They are also spreading the light. As Jesus said, in as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it for me. May they be protected from evil and the dangers of the temptation to misuse their position. We remember those who minister in other ways. Social workers and teachers, overloaded and often misunderstood. Doctors, nurses and auxiliaries, also overworked and often underpaid. Firemen and other emergency workers, And again, we remember with thanks those involved in the emergency on Friday night where they brought light into the darkness of that suffering. 
we thank you also for the ordinary folks who got together and helped out. May they realize that despite the abuse they often receive, their service is truly appreciated. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We pray specially for those who work in the darkness. The darkness of human trafficking, child abuse and prostitution. We remember what is coming to be called the dark internet or web. We pray for protection and insight for those who are trying to bring light into that particular darkness. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Dear God, we pray finally for ourselves, realizing once again that the answers to many of our prayers lie in our own hands and maybe in our pockets as well. God's Spirit lives in you and me. Walk, walk in the light. Our light must shine for all to see. Walk, walk in the light. Amen. Send us forth from here to be as lights in the darkness, spreading love and hope wherever our footsteps lead us as we continue to follow the ultimate light, even Christ our Lord. Thank you.